Hello and welcome to the How to Exit podcast, where we introduce you to a world of small to medium business acquisitions and mergers. We interview business owners, industry leaders, authors, mentors, and other influencers with the sole intent to share with you what it looks like to buy or sell a business. Let's get rolling. Hello and welcome to the How to Exit podcast. Today I'm here with Patrick Stroff. Patrick Stroff is a trusted authority on executive and transaction liability. His firm, Rubicon, Mergers and Acquisitions Insurance Services, is a member of the Liberty Company Insurance Brokers, a nationwide network of insurance brokers focused on middle and low middle market companies. Patrick is a pioneer in applying rep and warranties insurance to lower middle market M&A transaction. He and his team are committed to help lower middle market owners, founders, and investors achieve a clean exit. Patrick is the host of M&A Masters Podcast, where he speaks with leading experts in mergers and acquisitions. Thank you for being on the show. And I I have you here today because you've got this real cool, innovative product uh, that exclusively uh, set up to insure deals from $1 million to $20 million. Uh, Let's just jump right in. Thank you for being here. Yeah. Hey, Ron, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me today. All right. And... Uh, for those no, for those of you guys out in the live, you know this is live cutting on Rolf. The when you see the the finished version of it, I'll have a cleaner version of his intro there. So I, I we were just talking about this ahead of time. Sometimes I make it through there nice and smooth, and sometimes I uh, I trip over my own tongue. But let's I, focus. I, I have podcasts too. I do the exact same thing. It's it's rare when it gets out perfectly, but we're but we're off and running. Cool. I, I don't want to let everybody know, but uh, to, in 100% clarity, I practiced it three or four times before you came on camera. So that's that's even worse. So I got it better the first two times than I did just then. So let's just jump right in with you. Uh, what got you started in M&A, like mergers and acquisitions? Yeah, so I'm uh, an insurance broker by trade, got out of college, went right into insurance and did everything from home and auto all the way through commercial insurance. I found a real passion for the complexity and just the intellectual challenges with executive liability. This is directors and officers, liability, employment practices, think professional liability, things like that. It's a lot more interesting than home and auto. Um, I got pulled into mergers and acquisitions because one of my policyholders is a doctor. And this is about five, six years ago. He had six companies. He was bundling them together and he was selling them to a healthcare conglomerate for about $50 million. And I had asked uh, the, the doctors, we're putting the insurance together just to, you know, have it run off uh, and so forth. Uh, I just said, so we're, what are you going to do with the money? Where are you going, doc? And he said, well, I'm going to the old country, which was Israel. So he was going to be after the merger, uh, after he sold his company, he was going to leave the country and go, go off to Israel. When the buyer found out that he was leaving the country, they changed the terms of the deal. And they said, look, this isn't personal. We don't mean to be adversarial, but we got to hold back half the money, okay, for at least a year or two. Because you know what? If you leave the country, we have no way of clawing the funds back. So I'm afraid we have to set this up. So they were going to hold back 25 of the $50 million in an escrow fund for, I think it was probably more than two years. And so the doctor came to me and said, Patrick, seriously, there's got to be a way we can insure this transaction. And I said, well, there is a way, but it's prohibitively expensive. And he just said, price is no object. And when a lot of clients in insurance tell you price is no object, they're sincere until they know the price. And <laughs> big object. And all of a sudden they said, no. Well, this is uh, late 2015, early 2016. 
And this product for insuring mergers and acquisitions, it's called reps and warranties, had just under, undergone a great reduction in rate. Okay, it went from a rate where this was probably going to be a million dollar plus policy to less than half of that. I was shocked when I put together the proposal for the doctor that for a couple hundred grand, he was going to be able to exit. And instead of leaving with only half his money, he, he left with 49 out of the 50 million in his pocket. And when I saw the power of a product that can go ahead and enhance an entrepreneur to exit with almost all their money and not only exit with the money, but get to keep it. Because if there was a post-closing breach, the policy would respond to the buyer. The buyer did not have to come after the seller. So he was free and clear and got out. Eventually he would get his, uh, his hold back of that million dollars. That was the deductible and moved on. And when I saw that uh, happen in real time, I pivoted the practice of our firm to add in this, um, this product called reps and warranties insurance. And essentially what it does for those that may not know, it's probably the biggest thing in private equity today, but what it does is it steps in the shoes of the seller and enables the, the seller who ordinarily they make a bunch of disclosures about their company to the buyer and the buyer performs due diligence on the financials and the legal, et cetera, um, just to see how accurate those, those disclosures or what we call reps and warranties are. And, and based on the buyer's diligence, they're going to go ahead and say, great, well, you know, we're, we're going to move forward and purchase your company. Uh, however, we can't diligence everything. So if something pops up that we didn't know about or you forgot to tell us, uh, we've got a provision in here called the indemnification provision that allows us to claw back some or all of the money from the purchase, okay, if, if, if the discrepancy is big enough. And we want to be able to claw that back. Well, what the insurance industry did, and actually there's natural tension in here because you got a seller that's, you know, looking at the buyer saying, hey, I told you everything. The, if you didn't find it, that's not my problem. The buyer is looking saying, wait a minute, you know, this is market and I'm sorry, but we have to hedge our bets on this. And so this is what everybody does. And so you just have to take it. Well, the insurance industry uh, came up years ago and said, look, show us these disclosures. Okay. Buyer, show us the, um, the diligence that you perform to verify that the accuracy of these disclosures. If you did a good enough job on the diligence, I'll tell you what, for a couple bucks, you know, if there is a breach, we, we, the insurance companies, not the seller will pay the buyer, the buyer's loss. Seller gets, gets out from under. And um, it, usually not only do they get to exit, with a very small uh, holdback or escrow amount, usually is 10% of the purchase price. Well, now it can be as low as 1%. Not only do they exit with more cash closing, but they have assurance that they get to keep their money. Because like I said, if there is a breach, the insurer, not the seller, covers the buyer. And it's also helpful for the buyer for a number of reasons, because this is a way to get the deals moving forward. Now, you know, this is, you know, rep and warranty just in a, in a real thumbnail. The thing is, these are really good and efficient for $100 million deals because buyers at that level are going to do extensive uh, diligence. They're going to get legal diligence. They'll get quality of earnings, audited financials, things like that. Okay, which is great. But that's not available for smaller deals. And so that's been the real gap out there is what do you do with a, a company that is maybe under $10 million in value? Okay, where's, where's their protection? So this original product was for like larger deals. Uh, you were saying $100 million deals, you know, and it's, it's very common in that space. Yes. Right? 
Was yeah, that, it, it, it went. It, it it was reserved initially just for hundred million dollar plus enterprise value deals. It has over the years uh, come down to seventy five, then fifty million, then thirty million. And so, I mean, they are writing policies now for twenty five million dollar enterprise value deals. The the challenge though is, you know, if if you're a private equity firm, are you going to spend, you know, several hundred thousand to a million dollars? Uh, to diligence a deal that's probably, you know, 25 million. It's a lot easier and the bigger buyers have the leverage. So they can essentially tell the, tell the, and I've had clients come to me say, sellers come to me saying, Patrick, we've heard of this rep and warranty. We'd love to do it. We'll pay for it. Tell the buyer we'll pay for it. Just can we get it? And the buyer's just going to sit there and say, look, I'm, I'm sorry. It's cost prohibitive for us. We just, we just can't do it. And so that's where there's been that gap until now. And this is why I'm so happy to be with you today is because there's an, a very innovative insurance firm called CFC. They're a London-based insurance firm. Uh, very good reputation in the reps and warranty space for the traditional deals. And they looked out across the pond and they said, look, there are a thousand times as many small micro deals as there are these regular deals. These are, these are smaller Main Street companies that have very little risk. They're pretty straightforward. And you know what? We're not seeing a lot of big claims on the big deals. So why don't we make a volume play and make a simple, uh, you know, broad product that is inexpensive so we can go ahead and start getting these, you know, scores and hundreds of deals that happen every single month. And so they've come up with a product. It's called TLPE, Transaction Liability Private Enterprise. And it's designed for companies with an enterprise value of not more than $20 million. They can write an insurance policy that can cover up to $10 million of the enterprise value. And we've got several cases now where sub $10 million deals, we just insure them for whatever the purchase price is, and we move forward with that. And it's, it's the newest innovation out there that is beginning to gain momentum. But as with a lot of things in insurance, um, you know, getting the word out is, is a challenge. That's why I'm happy to be here with you to talk about it today. So in the bigger policy, you guys have audited financials, you got legal due diligence, you got a whole team spending yeah. tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands or more verifying that transaction. And then the insurance company reviews that, right? In this mm -hmm. case, what is the application process or what, what is needed? Is there still audited financials and stuff or is it, what's the subset uh, that a business owner would need to present. That, that's a that's a great uh, great question. I'll tell you, we're going to break it up between the TLP and the traditional. Okay, traditional rep on warranty. There's no application. Essentially, what the underwriters do is they want to get uh, a, a draft copy of the purchase and sale agreement, where there's a list of what the reps are. We uh, then ask for the reports that the buyer had. What diligence reports? Do you you know? Do, did you do a quality of earnings uh, report? Did you do a tax report, uh, human resources, legal diligence, all operational diligence, all those types of, you know, areas of focus that, that were performed. Okay. And then based on that, the underwriters will look at that and put out a proposal that says, okay, well, if we were to dive into this and really uh, go through this, we figure a policy of X amount of coverage is going to cost Y amount of premium. And before we get into this, we're going to need to hire an outside counsel to, uh, you know, look over the due diligence and actually vet it. Okay. That's called an underwriting fee. That underwriting fee is routinely between 35 and $60,000. Okay. 
So out the door on a traditional policy, you're going to be paying thirty to sixty thousand dollars just for the underwriters to go through their whole process. That process can take about a week to two weeks. I, there are some people that say they can do it days. It takes a week to two weeks, and then you know that that process moves forward. Now let's contrast that with TLPE. TLPE is a, a straightforward um, application process where, again, this is a simpler thing and. Uh, what underwriters are going to do is they're going to go through, they're going to ask, instead of underwriting the buyer's diligence, they're going to look at what the seller can tell them because nobody knows a company better than the seller. The owner and the founder knows the company best. And so what the insurance uh, uh, underwriters are going to do, they're going to rely on the seller being honest, which is you know typical for every insurance policy, fill out this application as best you can. And based on your, your industry class code and the size of the deal, they'll go ahead and evaluate what the, uh, what the risk is and then put out a price. And the great thing about this is there is no underwriting fee that's necessary and, and so forth. And I, I could step back a little bit on TLP and how it's different from, from the traditional rep warranty in this way. And not to get too into the weeds with the coverage, but a traditional rep warranty policy, the policyholder is the buyer. The intent of this rep and warranty is so the seller gets a clean exit. If the buyer suffers a loss, buyer goes to the insurance company to, to collect. Okay, so it is on a format called a buy side policy. Under TLPE is what we call a sell side policy. It is not dependent on the buyer's diligence at all. It is just dependent on the, the quality of the policyholder or the quality of, of the uh, seller and their business. They, they review an application, they, rep, uh, they review the, uh, the current financial statements of the seller, they would look, look at the uh, letter of intent just to see, uh, just format on the structure of the deal, and then they will put out their, their terms. And the terms, this process, because it's finite, it's not going to cover every type of deal, uh, the process takes, is, is on an accelerated uh, platform because the intent is, Underwriters want to write hundreds of these a month. And if you have a cumbersome multi-stage process for quoting and evaluating, it's not going to work. And so they wanted a streamlined process and they put together a process that, you know, essentially that from beginning to end can take literally two days to, uh, to get these things done. So it works out very, very nicely. Now, have you guys already worked with um, like the small business administration loans and the uh, typical ways people fund the LBOs? Uh, just... uh, no, we, we haven't. We haven't been in that. Usually at, at the size that we're looking at right now, we've got buyers uh, that are funding, you know, either with a loan, not necessarily SBA loan or anything like that. We're And we don't get too involved in the financing process of, of the transaction itself. What we're going to look at is we, we're looking to protect the seller. And in, in, in this vein, when you protect the seller, you're also protecting the buyer because there will be a source of remedy for the buyer should there be something that blows up. Yeah, I guess you're right. Because in case there's, unless there's real estate involved, they're not going to go above that into that range. They're going to stay below the, the $10 million range. Yeah, they, um, usually, yes. And, and we're, and honestly, where we like to see this is this doesn't have to be limited to just individuals or families buying and selling companies. This is going to be very big, we believe, for private equity, where private equity has strategies now where they're looking to get a platform uh, a portfolio company and then add on to that. And just, you know, rather than get organic growth, grow through, you know, doing add-ons and bolt-ons. And 
those add-ons and bolt-ons are the, the ideal, you know, uh, type of risk that our underwriters are looking for is that, you know, the, those, the sub $10 million to $15 million SaaS company that gets, you know, bolted onto a larger platform. That's where, that's where we like to be. So a lot of times these earnouts are tied to not just uh, risk base, which I can see the insurance policy tying, but uh, the, the the new acquirer wanting to keep the you know the, a particular member or members of the team around, kind of like a, it's an additional golden handcuff. So I can see this policy kind of keeping people truly honest in the transaction, right? Like, yeah. If, if it's, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt, been jumping in on you, but I think that's just a real key. Uh, issue here, and we see this in Silicon Valley a lot, is that one of the great benefits for rep and warranty, particularly on the TLPE, because you've got a much smaller, you know, uh, seller there that's intimately, you know, involved with the company and could be transitioning over, and they don't have a lot of bandwidth to lose money, and so it gets very, very uncomfortable if, let's say, post closing, there is a loss, uh, and you have a real uncomfortable situation where. The, the seller is a key member of the new team coming over and is waiting for their holdback or their escrow uh, to mature and collect. And then the buyer's got the unenviable task of going out and breaking the news that it was outside of everybody's control, but this happened in that million dollars you were waiting for. Yeah, I'm sorry. We, we had to use it here. We've actually seen situations in Silicon Valley where you bring on some rock star um, programmers and the there's a real dilemma there for the buyer do, do we you know alienate these people who are just great contributors or do we just eat the loss and what's real convenient and elegant about reps warranties insurance is that you know what if you've got that third party that has very deep pockets bring them the claim they're going to pay the loss and and it just makes it very simple across the board for everybody I can see where that would be a real problem, right? You're working, you're working there. You committed to be in there for the next, whatever. I guess I'm hearing three between three and five years on earnouts mm -hmm. these days, and then something goes right, and they're either going to try to claw back money from you while you're sitting in the chair, or like you know, not deliver to you what you're expecting. So I can see this actually, you know, helping with one of the key reasons why a lot of these um, acquisitions fell and that's integration, right? Something yeah. happens throughout the integration policy and you can't keep people engaged and active and, and make things mesh together. This, I could see re reducing some of that friction that causes that failure to integrate. Oh, I think, I think that let, let's step back a little bit and just look at M&A in general and, and, and situations here, because this is, this is really where overall reps and warranties is coming in really, uh, contributed to the parties and how I would say probably about 90% of private equity deals now involve some form of reps and warranties. And here's what happens in mergers and acquisitions. You've got two parties. You got one party that's very experienced. That's the buyer. And then the seller is usually inexperienced in the whole process. Okay. And it's not anybody's fault. It's just that they're, you know, if you're in the business of operating a company, you're operating the company. Okay, when you're private equity or other buyers, you're, you know, your business is buying. So you're used to this. And so 
there will go through these processes where, you know, the buyer is going to ask for all this information before they make a decision. The seller, I mean, it can it can be, in their opinion, a very invasive process going through this whole diligence process. OK. And the buyer keeps coming up with more things to ask and more things to look at and so forth. And the seller is going through this whole process thinking, you know what, I've, I've opened up my soul to you. I mean, you, this I, there's nothing more I can tell you. And the buyer and, and the buyer's just sitting there saying, "Look, I understand you've told me everything. You've been very helpful, but you know what? I'm being asked to make a you know millions or tens of millions of dollars bet on you that your memory is perfect. So I'm sorry, we have to go through this." And then the seller finds out, you know, when they because they're not used to this process, is once they go through that whole thing, their attorney sits them down and talks to them about indemnification. That's that whole clawback issue. And then yeah. and then the seller's reaction is, "Wait a minute." So I've told you everything. And even if you miss something, I'm still on the hook. Wait a minute. And so there's there's this distrust that happens. And it's just a dynamic that goes through. And unfortunately, you know, if circumstances are the way they are, you've got sellers cornered and they're going to reluctantly move forward. And you know, they're going to lose a lot of sleep. And hopefully the deal goes through and nothing happens. And, you know, they, they move forward. Well, you've got reps and warranties comes in. And that's just taken away from the two parties. And I, I, I can tell you, I mean, this is what's been great about having this TLPE for smaller deals. The very first policy that CFC wrote is one that we were very proud that we were reached out to. But you had a SaaS company, $5 million uh, uh, enterprise value. Okay. The buyer uh, was a portfolio company, a very, very sizable uh, bank. And the bank wanted had uh within the provisions they said look it's a SaaS company if there's any intellectual property breaches we want to retain full control we're going to use our attorneys to fight anything like that now this bank had very expensive attorneys and the uh the sellers were looking at that saying wait a minute you can burn up to the full purchase price on your attorneys that are going to be very expensive and we're on the hook for it we can lose the whole five million dollars absolutely not deal died Right there on right right there on that point because the bank wasn't going to back down, and the and the the sellers were quite frankly like we're not writing a blank check for you guys. Okay, within a day they had heard about us with the TLPE, reached out and said, "Is this possible?" We were able within a couple of days to ensure the full five million dollar um, uh, value of the SAS. We put in a provision that it was simple. The, the bank had full authority to use whatever attorney they want. They could incur whatever legal costs up to the policy limit, which was $5 million. And, and they were set. All of a sudden, seller, the worst they were going to lose is $50,000. That was the deductible. That was it. Okay. Move forward on the deal and got it taken care of. And th those are the types of cases that we really like because we want to come in where a seller is very vulnerable and they've got nothing to hide, but they need to get this. And the buyer has a legit concern and they want to hedge their risk. And, and so how can we bring that product for both of them? And that's what TLPE does. I've actually had a personal case where we made an offer. And one of the things we'd like to put in our offers when there's, when the due diligence was okay, but there's still like, there's some unknown things mm -hmm. is we give a 45 day walk back clause where we can walk back the whole process and hand you your company back in 45 days. And, uh, I've had some huge pushbacks from companies where we were looking at it. We sat down, we made them the offer and, you know, this one of them was kind of a turnaround deal. We, we, it was a very low offer. We just pretty much offered to take over the huge debt they had mm -hmm. and uh, not in huge and it was 4 million bucks. 
So they were close to $4 million in debt. We were going to take that over and, and take a company that was they're trying to shut down and, and bring it back to life. And the, the thing that they bugged them more was wasn't the kind of dollar down deal where we take, give you a dollar down, take your business and pay your debt off over the next three years. That didn't worry them as much as what do you mean you can give it back to me in the next 45 days? Right. Yeah. With, with, and I know this wouldn't apply to that just because of the like I said, the everything wasn't clean is why we had to make that mm-hmm. offer. But there's a lot of cases out to where, you know, the buyer has some gut feeling that there needs to be that clawback that needs to be some type of, in, 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 I can't even say the word today, indemnification. indemnification. Yeah. yeah we, 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 it's part of our daily lexicon. So, <laughs> yeah. so uh, you know, there's, there, you know, there's going to be times where that's just like, there's an actual, an actual pushback. I, I can see a huge win for this. And uh, when we were talking on the phone before the, the show, um, I had heard of the R and W or the uh, risk, you know, rep and, warranty. Warranty, rep and warranties that for the big deals, mm-hmm. and I just never heard that there was anything for the smaller deals. Um, like, do you have examples of other, like other examples you mentioned earlier, like the yeah. the SaaS company? Where what were some other deals where that's actually it helped the deal get done? Yeah, I think I mean we had, we have one right now where we we had a situation where it was another technology company, but you had a hus- husband and wife were divorced, and so they want to be able to split the proceeds from the sale of the business and then move on with their lives. And so again, this was another one of those situations where it was unique. It was under $10 million and, and it went forward. We just, just this week, I, a wholesale performance glove uh, company, they, uh, they distribute uh, high performance gloves for the outdoors there. They got purchased by a sporting goods, uh, um, Sporting goods apparel company. Okay. $1.4 million. I mean, small deal. Okay. We were able, and, and the concern there was just, you know, there's going to be a holdback of 10%. So it's $140,000. You know, is there anything we can do on a deal that, uh, that, size, that size? And so we came in, we looked at it, we could ensure the, the full purchase price, $1.4 million, cost $20,000. That was the premium. Okay. And we can talk about pricing later. But for twenty grand, that holdback went from one hundred forty thousand to fourteen thousand. That was the deductible policy attaches right over that. And the buyer just said, "Look, you know, I'd love to work with you, seller. And it's not that we're afraid of it; it's just the way we do things. We have to have this holdback." Okay. Well, once that whole holdback got covered with the insurance, they were fine. I mean, another, you know, uh, consumer electronics company is on on the table uh, this week. Six million dollar purchase price, and they they don't want the holdback of six hundred thousand. Okay, bring in a policy that's uh, maybe a little over sixty five, seventy thousand dollars, but their holdback goes from you know they, they go from collecting five point four million at closing to five point nine million at closing. I mean, it, it, it's pretty good, and so those are the types of things uh, that are out there. Okay. And I guess if you were to ask, okay, well, what kinds of companies are eligible for this? Okay. Um, criteria for TLP uh, enterprise value has to be under $20 million. Okay. Originally it was under 10 million. We, you know, modified it a bit, but it's got to be under 20 million just because the underwriters figured the complexity level uh, accelerates exponentially above that threshold. So under $20 million. We are looking for Main Street types of businesses. These are light manufacturers, light technology, retail, 
hospitality, restaurants, um, uh, franchises, and, you know, all those types of businesses, you see business services that are, you know, on Main Street. Those are the types of com companies that uh, are being sought. Um, there are other companies that insurance agencies can be purchased um, and, and covered under this. Light, we mentioned light manufacturing, heavy man manufacturing, just the environmental is too big. Pretty much the only things that TLP can't accept are highly regulated businesses and larger deals. Okay, so anything in the energy sector, healthcare sector, where you got a lot of regulatory banking, those unfortunately are not available. That leaves the field wide open out there. Okay. Um, and, you know, the two most common questions I get, number one, how much does it cost? Okay. TLP and rep and warranty uh, premiums are priced based on not the size of the deal, but they're uh, priced based on how much insurance you get. Okay. Usually the minimum limit on traditional rep and warranty is a $5 million limit policy. Um, care, you know, uh, parties are usually looking for anywhere from 10 to 20% of the enterprise value for buying insurance there. On TLPE, they can go all the way up to $10 million in limits to match whatever the enterprise value. Okay. So unfortunately you can't insure a $5 million company for 10 million, but you can get it to 5 million. Or if, you know, the parties say, look, we got a million dollar holdback. Okay. We just write the, the million dollar limit and do it that way. Okay. Uh, the premiums are running between uh, now ten to twenty thousand dollars per million in coverage. Okay, so you can have a policy. Now the 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 absolute bottom rate is is fifteen thousand dollars. So the 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 minimum premium is fifteen thousand, but then it goes from there to ten to uh, twenty thousand per mil in in uh, limits that that are needed. The deductible is one percent of the uh, enterprise value. So you'll have that deductible in there and there is no underwriting fee. So, I mean, the expenses of this are very, very low. The second most common question I get is, okay, well then who pays? And as all things are mergers and acquisitions, whoever has leverage in the deal pays, okay? With TLPE, it is a sell side policy. The seller is the policyholder. So very often the seller will be funding this thing. The buyer just says, look, you're either gonna go with a traditional 10% holdback or you get the policy, okay, at your expense. Uh, we are seeing many, many cases where buyers are very uh, cooperative with, with their counterparties and they've agreed in uh, the last two deals I've had, the, the, the two parties uh, split the cost evenly. So whoever, whoever pays does not matter, gets paid at closing and, and goes, goes through that uh, process. But again, when you get into reps and warranties on the traditional side, you're looking at minimum premiums of $250,000, $300,000 plus underwriting fee, plus taxes, plus, plus, plus. This is a great, uh, again, elegant, ideal alternative that's now available in the lower, I call it now the micro market. So inside of these policies, what's covered and what's not covered? I mean, what exactly is insured in the in this structure? That's actually a, a basic question everybody you know wonders on that. Okay, the uh, the uh, TLP policy. We're just going to say TLP here. TLP policies are triggered when the seller receives a demand from the buyer saying. There is a breach. We have suffered financially. It doesn't even have to be a breach of the reps. It can just, you misrepresented to me that uh, 
X, Y, Z was accurate. Okay. We suffered a loss. We are now looking to you to collect. Okay. So the scope of the policy is usually just within those reps and warranties and, and the policy gets brought. So those are fundamental reps on ownership, uh, anything, you know, financial reps, tax reps, uh, operational reps. If you, you know, uh, we've had cases where the, um, uh, the seller forgot to uh, disclose to the buyer that a bunch of their equipment was leased. Okay. And so, you know, the question just didn't come up and that can happen in a lot of these fast moving deals. And the buyer brought an action because they lost $50,000 uh, of value because of those lease agreements, policy paid. So there are those set of things. So what we're looking for is these are demands from the buyer against the seller. That's what's covered. What's a little bit easier and gives, gives us a little bit more credibility is, you know, an insurance policy is what's not covered. Okay. First of all, if there's anything known that the seller knows about, it's not going to be covered. The seller is aware that they're about to get audited, uh, not covered. If the seller is aware, well, we've got some problems out of, you know, this little corner, you know, if, if you know about it, if it's been disclosed, it's not covered. Okay. And that's going to be true of every insurance policy out there. With TLP, which is uni unique from other things, is that financial reps, if, and most uh, companies in the TLP range are not audited, okay? If, however, they uh, represent to the buyer that their financials are gap, they're in accordance with gap standards, okay? If they're not audited, that's not a legit rep because you are not a gap standards if you're not audited, okay? So, any kind of representation to, to gap standards is not going to be covered, okay? Uh, if there are uh, the uh, TPP loan issues, things of uh, uh, those areas, uh, underwriters are not liking those. Condition of assets is another big limitation on the coverage, okay? This policy is not here to be the warranty policy. So if you're selling your equipment and the equipment or the inventory isn't up to whatever you represented and the value is actually less, it's not going to cover that. Okay. And then finally, exposures that are better insured elsewhere. Okay. Specifically, we're going to look at things like cyber liability. If there was a cyber breach or whatever. Okay. That is insurable through a cyber policy is separate. Okay. If there's an environmental issue or some other kind of exposure that is covered by a regular commercial policy, those aren't going to be covered by TLPE. The LP will then take take on any of these unknowns that'll pop up uh, post closing. So it sounds like you'd pair this with some type of general liability policy. Yeah, well, you you would look at that. I think that that uh, happens if you are a professional service, for example. Uh, they have types of policies that are called claims made policies. You would buy a tail that would extend the policy reporting period for a claim for years post closing. That's routine. This policy would go parallel with that and, and, and go that way. And then other trips and falls, if, if something happened pre-closing, that's going to be on, the, on, on one policy. If it happens post-closing, that gets picked up on TLPE. And then you, we've talked quite a bit about like, you know, these policies are equated on the value of the company. Is that the valuation, like what we're paying for it? Sometimes that's three times the seller's discretionary earnings, or is that... Like what, what number are you working off of when you say the value of a company? So we're going to work on whatever the cash 
purchase price is at closing. So we're not multiples or anything. I mean, if, if there's a multiple, but the number comes out at like, for example, the, the consumer electronics deal, it's a $6 million deal. They also have a number of earnouts and other um, uh, post-closing bonuses out there for up to another $6 million. That's not insurable. We're just looking at the six. Okay. okay. It's the cash is, that's being paid at closing. However, that's value. Uh, there will be, as you get into other types of rep and warranty policies, they do look at, okay, well, what, what's your multiple? If the market multiple is, you know, 10 times EBITDA and you're paying 40 times EBITDA, okay, what's going on here? Okay. Those are those conversations on the, on the TLPE side. It's straightforward. Okay. Let's talk about, uh, you know, we've, you've, We've reached out to you. We're 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 thinking about you know buying a business or something like that. How what's the process? We, huh? What's that? Is it the process you're asking about? Yeah, like what's what's the process here? Like if I if I'm reaching out to a business and I see it, like you know what, I just kind of want something there to ensure that this is right. Can the seller, you know, or the sorry, the buyer instigate that conversation with you guys and get the seller involved, or is that normally the seller coming to you guys? Ideally, the uh, the seller is going to come to us. However, the buyer can come and say, "Look, we have this target, uh, and and we're aware of this. The seller may not be aware, but we're aware of this. You know, can you help? Uh, we have a straightforward application that that the seller we need the seller to fill out. The buyer could try filling out, but I mean, like I said, the seller is going to know this stuff. So, and there are you know disclosures in the application. Do you know of any past lawsuits or anything like that? Best to have the seller do that." So we would get uh, the application. We get a copy of the letter of intent if we can. If you get the purchase of sale agreement, that's great. But uh, letter of intent is helpful. We need the current financial statements, balance sheet, and income statement. From there, that's essentially all underwriters need uh, when we did when we can uh, establish what you know NAICS uh, class code, industry code is for the business. We can then go ahead and rate it up. Takes a, like I said, a day maybe two, put out a proposal. If you want, you've got a $5 million company or, you know, here's, here's what a $5 million limit policy costs. Um, that's pretty much it. You get the proposal set up and then we wait till closing. We will have a draft of the policy prepared. Um, and all the uh, seller has to do is they have to sign the uh, warranty statement within the draft policy that we give at, at the closing when the, you know, when all the documents are there. We give you for the document package, a draft copy of the policy. They just have to sign that as of closing, they are, you know, everything on the application is accurate. There are no changes and they don't know of any claim. They sign on that. Uh, we, we get, we get paid at, at the closing right there and, and move forward. The underwriters will get a copy of the policy. We'd like to get an index of the data room. Uh, if they've got a data room, just, we don't need the copy of the data room. We just want their index of the data room. And then a copy of the signed person sale agreement, you know, at, you know, post closing. When we get those items, policies in force goes forward. The question comes up: Well, how how long is the policy? Do we have to do, keep doing this? Do we renew it or anything? No, policy. Uh, the length of the policy matches whatever the survival rate of the agreement uh, has. So if you've got fundamental reps that are six years. Uh, in, in survivability, policy matches that. If you've got specific uh, general reps, you know, for intellectual property or things like that, that are maybe 18 months or three years, 
policy matches those as well. There's no difference in price. It's just it, the, the policy is designed to match the agreement terms. And so we get it set up that way. And so it's a one-time deal. And as, as I said, with, the, with this glove manufacturer, we did that deal in literally two business days. The, um, uh, the original SaaS company I did for $5 million, we turned, turned that around in two days and actually took the bank longer to redraw all the documents uh, to have that ready. And then we just go ahead and just, we, we do ask that when the documents get signed, they get signed at closing. Don't sign the documents pre-closing because then if anything is delayed, the policy is triggered at closing. And it, it happens all the time that something gets delayed uh, a couple of days. We actually had a deal that was delayed just because the seller, well, the buyers, they, they did not want to be purchasing something on April Fool's Day. And so they said, I know this is Friday. No, 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 we're, we're going to move it up. I don't care. We're, I just don't want to be on record that we bought this on April Fool's Day. So... <laughs> People can be superstitious. That happens. Yeah, don't they know it's bad luck to be superstitious? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I'm a big fan of the, you know, marketing. I've got a marketing MBA and, and commercials in general. There's a famous, uh, fairly uh, common insurance commercial out there that says, we know a few things because we've seen a few things. Mm -hmm. What kind of claims have you seen inside of this? Are there any like, like okay, we paid that, you know, it's just kind of interesting standout type of claims that were paid just because that, you know, it fell within this policy? Yeah, I, well, fortunately, uh, TLP has only been out. It just launched on July 1st, 2021. So it, okay. hasn't been, it hasn't been around long enough to have a string of claims. We, do, we, we actually do have a couple of losses that, that have been paid. And you had uh, one, it was a chain of Mexican restaurants, and it was an issue on the equipment leaks. And so uh, the, the seller failed to disclose to the buyer that there was an equipment uh, lease out there. And so the buyer incurred additional expenses above and beyond policy, uh, investigated that and, and paid the, paid the claim. Here's the great benefit. There was another uh, with the same deal had a second claim actually, but here's the issue with the seller policy is that the policy is written where the underwriters are providing not just the money to settle a claim with the buyer, but you don't just go and respond to the buyer who's probably bringing their attorney over to bring an action against you. You, you don't go against an attorney with a non-attorney. So what the underwriters do in this program is they provide legal defense to respond to the buyer. They're not going to sit there and just write a blank check. They're going to sit there with the buyer and work out a settlement and try to get it as low as possible in, 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 favor, of, in favor of the seller so that they don't incur too much of a risk. And again, you may have a small deductible, but if, if the policy can be, the deal can be settled below the deductible, wouldn't that be nice? And so uh, in addition to the, the leased equipment issue, there was an employment violation that the uh, restaurant chain had been allegedly using underage employees and working them longer hours than, than was allowed uh, by the state. This is a, uh, this is a chain based in the state of Texas. And so, the uh, Texas Workers Bureau brought, uh, a, a, what was it, a, um, a violation notice, which totaled about $450,000 in fines. The policy provided the legal defense to respond to that regulatory board because it was actually the buyer would be on the hook for this. And so buyer you know, notified the seller, seller goes ahead, gets the insurance to come in and 
the attorneys for CFC under the policy went, negotiated with the workers, the workers bureau in Texas. They reduced the penalties, uh, negotiated settlement, and then paid the settlement. Okay, uh, wasn't disclosed, but I mean, was, the original demand is four hundred fifty thousand dollars. So they have been there and stepped up. And, you and said something really important in there in a split second. I want my audience to get the buyer would have been liable for those violations. A lot of people think that they do a asset purchase, like an invoice purchase and stuff like that. It severs all in a new LLC, mm -hmm. severs all liability. And I was like, yeah, unless you're dealing with government agencies, state agencies, federal, like EPA, because they're going to hold the new buyer accountable no matter what yeah. you did. Right. Same exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And let's step back a little bit just on claims reps and warranties in general, because here's it's a great point on why these products are so successful. OK, um, the buyers of rep and warranty policies are repeat buyers. OK, they're private equity and, and uh, you know, other other uh, serial acquirers are strategic and they're buying many, many companies. OK, so. What the underwriters did through the whole process is they're going through vetting, particularly in, in, in a traditional rep and warranty. They're going through looking at all the diligence reports. They are having an underwriting call with the buyers to say, did you look at this? Did you look at that? And they check off the boxes and everything. So essentially, underwriters and the rep and, and the deal parties are in the same virtual room together as they negotiate. And so unlike other insurance policies, there's really no gray area on what's covered or what's not covered. Okay, it's a little different with TLPE, but it's still there's this rigor that's out there that the underwriters are really looking at these deals very closely. So it's difficult for the insurance industry to sit there and when a claim comes in, just say, you know what, I don't think that I don't think that qualifies as a loss. I think we're going to we're not going to cover that. Okay, any insurance carrier in the rep and warranty market that denies and or is at least reluctant to pay a claim, they're toast. I mean, the marketplace will turn their back immediately. So policyholders have tremendous leverage over, over the insurance industry in reps and warranties. And quite frankly, the underwriters in reps and warranties, and I've spoken to many of them, they really want to get these things right. They appreciate all the business they're getting. These are very profitable programs. And if they get the information from their policyholder on a claim, if it, if it makes sense, they're going to pay it. They you know, because it, it is not just the right thing to do, but it's just great business for them. And then, you know, you've got a, you've got a client for life on other things. So uh, CFC, I mentioned that uh, the paper behind the underwriting facility behind TLP has been a traditional rep and warranty uh, insurance market for years. They've paid lots of losses. They know the value of the relationship with the policyholder and it's never more important than at the time of a loss. And so, you know, they will keep promises made. And I'm very, in the insurance industry, I'm very, very proud about that. Awesome. <clears throat> let's take a, a step back and, and let's look at what type of uh, deals, you, you know, this isn't necessarily for, you know, your, your mom and pop operator buying another pop and pop operator. This is for, uh, which I guess it could be in some cases. What, what type of deals are, is uh, R&W insurance or, you know, in this case, the, what are you calling it? TLP. Yeah, TLPE. Uh, TLPE insurance, what is it? Uh, when should a buyer or seller approach it? What kind of deals is this best for? Is there, there's, yeah, I, I, 
honestly, I, you hate to say, well, we're, we're open for everything, but I, w- I would say, you know, if, if there's a question, I'd reach out to us. But again, our, we are looking at uh, purchases of Main Street business that is valued at 20 million and less. Mm-hmm. There are uh, financial statements, and it, and again, it, it, there's a challenge if it's a if if it's a um, you know adverse sale where you know companies on the verge of bankruptcy or something like that. There there could be some some uh, limitations there, you know, uh, in that element. But if you've got a solid company, I mean, we're looking at HVAC contractors. We're looking at companies that are rolling up landscaping companies that are for a million dollars. Okay, all the way up through tech. Um, like I said, other than the regulatory businesses, I think if you're targeting a company, and we are seeing this now, where I mean, I you know, funeral homes, uh, bars, restaurants, other types of hospitality, uh, you know, uh, the retail um, uh, clothing, retail other uh, consumer goods, all those types of companies. If it's under twenty million in enterprise value, and they need insurance up to ten million dollars. Absolutely. Give us give us a look. And, you know, we put together an application and it moves very quickly. Awesome. We're uh, we're about 50 minutes in. I want to make sure people know how to reach them. I'll put this up on the screen and make sure take take a quick look at that. Actually, I probably I see I got a double thing. Let me fix something real quick. Yeah. And, and, and my name is pronounced uh, Stroth like growth. But if you look me up and it is, you know, uh, Patrick Stroth, I'm on, I'm on LinkedIn, which is, which is great. You also can get my, on my, on my email, which is my first initial last name at Rubicon, I-N-S, short for insurance, so rubiconins.com. Drop me an email. We can meet, my, our team can come out there, send you the application and just a checklist. We've got, uh, and I have a lot of buyers will come to us and just say, we have a target do you have any material or any information we can share? We've got a brochure. We have a case study where we talk about that SaaS company. As a matter of fact, we're going to be adding more case studies coming up, but we will provide that over to you. And, and, you know, uh, I'm always available to get on a call with, with parties and just talk them through the process and just what it is, what's covered, what's, what's not. And I, like I said, this is a new experience for a lot of people and, so we understand that. The other thing that's important, though, is in you know my my why in being involved in mergers and acquisitions is that I have tremendous respect for entrepreneurs, people that you know created tremendous value where nothing before existed, and to do anything to help them out as they transition to their next chapter. You know, who wouldn't want to be a contributor in that way? And this is the way that we can do this. And, and some of these are, you know, life-changing events. And how can we ensure that this life-changing event gets through successfully without all the wear and tear emotionally that's going to happen? Because these, these are big, stressful times. And, you know, we want to be that, that voice of calm and helping you move that risk away. So just to uh, make sure we just nail this in, if, if somebody were to take, let's say two topics, two items from the show today. And uh, they listened to the whole thing and all they really grasped is two things. What would you want them to walk away with? What did you want the, the audience to say? If you don't remember anything else, remember these two things. I, I would say that if, um, if, if you're looking at it, if you're looking at a target and it's under $20 million, bring up the idea of 
ensuring ensuring that deal as as an alternative to a 10 percent uh holdback okay i guarantee you if you're the buyer if you bring that uh idea to the seller okay they will happily pay the cost no matter what i mean this is an absolute if you're a buyer this is at zero cost to you okay if you are a seller if you know if, if you're concerned about the risk okay this is a great product it is not required that the buyer accept the insurance okay this is to protect you the seller and so if you need that peace of mind and and the buyer isn't going to cooperate you're not relying on the buyer this is something for you and you know what it doesn't hurt to ask and to take a look i mean we price these things out instantly so i mean the worst that can happen is it's just not a fit you just won't buy it that's a great concept you just said there like you could be the seller of a business concern that the new guy just isn't gonna do what he said he's gonna do or handle it and they're gonna come back to you for something right mm-hmm. and then insurance policy like this can actually help alleviate that fear that if, if they come back for something you disclose everything you could like you said this guy asked you you know i'm on this on the buying end i'm this guy this guy me asked you a million questions to start with but if they miss something and you failed to disclose it this this covers that i, I could see where that would be a peace of mind for a seller, right? I think that the, what I t- said earlier in the show, when people push back that I can hand it back to you, if I find you know skeletons in your closet, you didn't disclose, this would be a, a huge win for them because like, look, you know, I've got this insurance policy. You don't hand me back anything. If it's something I didn't disclose that I failed to, then, you know, they'll cover it. Yeah. So. Well, the, yeah. The two, th- two things that, you know, the parties want, first of all, they want the deal to close. Right. Okay. Right. And it, deals that are insured, okay, are nine times more likely to close successfully than deals that are not insured. That comes from investment bankers. That's not from us, okay? So everybody wants to close. And then for the sellers, quite frankly, they just, you know what? I, I just want an exit, okay? I, I, you know, I've gone through this process. I want out and and I don't want to get pulled back in. I think that, the, you know, it would be terrible for somebody as they go and they sell and then all of a sudden 45 days later, they get the company back. And it's like, oh, great. Because it's never going to come back worth more. So you want to be able to walk away. And if, if, the, if both parties, there's always some risk. There's always a leap of faith on both sides. However, we can make that leap a little bit, you know, shorter. That's what we're trying to do. Awesome. Well, I appreciate having you here. We are at the getting close to the end of the hour here. Um, for everybody that, you know, was listening, please reach out to, to Patrick on either LinkedIn or I put up his website there also on the, on the site. Those uh, links will be in the show notes. So uh, take a look there. Uh, appreciate having you here. Uh, hang out for a few seconds when we're done and uh, we'll wrap this show up. Hey, Ron, thanks so much. It's great to be here. And I I really appreciate the opportunity. Thank you so much. Awesome. Well, that's the show. Hey, it's your host, Ronald Skelton. I want to thank you personally for watching the show today and invite you to call our new hotline, 918-641-4150. That's 918-641-4150. Call us and tell us about our show. Ask questions. Uh, suggest a guest or even tell me about a business you have for sale and we'll reach back out to you. Again, that number is 918-641-4150. Call our hotline leave us some information. Thank you. The Investors and Entrepreneurs Professional Mastermind. 
The Investors and Entrepreneurial Professional Mastermind combines the traditional peer-to-peer mastermind introduced first in Napoleon Hill's famous book, Think and Grow Rich, with accountability partnering where your peers help you ensure that you set goals, take actions, and get results. If you want to scale, blow past roadblocks, and achieve success faster than you might think is possible, I suggest you take a visit over to tiepm.com. That's T-I-E. PM.com and check out the Investors and Entrepreneurs Professional Mastermind.